Welcome to Spoiler Appetite. I'm Tristan. Alrighty. Today is the week. Today is the week, you know. As of right now, I am recording this on the 4th of July. I'm sure every one of you listening right now has got their plans for the 4th of July weekend. As for me, well, I'll just be working. But today, I am recording this podcast and I'm actually pretty feeling good about it because I actually have stuff to talk about whereas previous episodes you know since I'm doing you know solo shows for a couple episodes or so I actually have stuff to talk about you know because slow news has been like you know slow news it's there's not really much I want to talk about as much but yeah it seems like this past week uh there's been stuff that has come out some stuff, so I thought, you know what, why don't I talk about that, and one of the things, you know, I was, I think, last week, I was going to talk about it, and honestly, I am not sure if I actually talked about it, but in case I did, um, yeah, so last week, or the week before, I believe, (laughs) I saw Dark Phoenix, I saw... The last X-Men Fox property uh, X-Men movie, Dark Phoenix. And, you know, nobody's talking about it. You know, it came and went. Nobody's not really talking about it anymore. So, but you know what? I I didn't talk about it last week because I just... I guess I just had to get over what I just saw. And uh, it's funny. I have it here. Have my list of stuff I want to talk about in Dark Phoenix. I wrote in uh, parentheses five minutes or under, and um, I'm gonna try and keep it under five minutes because it's not worth going into depth with this movie. Um, okay, so Dark Phoenix. Um, this is a movie that <laughs> you know when I first heard about it, I was like, okay, Dark Phoenix again. I haven't read the comic, but I know certain story beats or whatever of the story. And so I I know the average stuff that happens in that story because if there's one thing I learned that that story itself is like goes like has been written for like years and years and just like it's a long story and a long story that you know I don't really want to read I mean I maybe one day I will once I run out of like stuff I I read or whatever but uh but I think I, I do know the story well enough because I, I don't know if anyone else is reading the, uh, oh man, let me pull it up on my tablet because I am forgetting the name. It's basically X-Men, what is it called? It's basically the premises, uh, it's a retelling of all, uh, classic X-Men stories, like the, like the more important ones. Uh, Second Genesis, written by, who is it by, who is it by? Pulling it up right now, and I am like failing at this right now, but uh, who, who did this book? Who did this book? Damn, take me to the beginning. Um, Ed Piscar, P-I-S-K-O-R, no, that's the cartoonist, my bad. The writer, who is the writer? I just want to see who's the writer. Um, wow. Uh, okay, having some technical difficulties, basically, so yeah, it's basically, uh, the retelling of, like, iconic X-Men, and they just put it into one, and they, you know, tell all these iconic stories from the X-Men 
um, from the comics, and they blend it all into one. And, yeah, okay, so this uh, comic run is written by Ed Piscar. I did get it right. So, yeah, Ed Piscar wrote this, cramming all the iconic X-Men stories into one flowing narrative. And, you know, so that's where I learned about the Dark Phoenix uh, saga. Uh, I read, you know, they do touch on that one. And, okay, let's just talk about this movie real quick. Um, It's terrible. <laughs> like, there's no getting around it. There's nothing really I can say that there's any, like, is there anything that anything good that sticks out? No, not really. Not really. Not at all. It's a dumpster fire. It is a real head-scratcher because... I honestly couldn't tell you about the plot. What is the plot? Um, spoilers, in case anybody cares, which, you know, uh, judging by how much money it made, I don't think anybody cares about this Dark Phoenix movie, but here I am talking about it. Um, the plot. I couldn't really tell you what the plot was. You know, one moment it's, you know, Jean Grey gets the, the Force Phoenix or whatever, and then it's about we got to find uh, Jean Grey because, you know, Charles Xavier head away that you know her father didn't want her and all this business and then hey we found Jean Grey now we gotta convince her to like calm down and then aliens and yeah none yeah just this movie is a mess from the beginning it's it's really horrible it's really terrible and you know it makes me upset because of the fact that I loved the casting and I loved the younger cast or whatever but I gotta say didn't care for this movie at all like there was a moment when I was in the theater watching this I really wanted to get up and leave but I just had to chug through it just had to chug through it just just get through it maybe it'll get better it didn't it really didn't like some of the stuff just <laughs> doesn't really make any sense okay for starters Mystique dies uh sorry spoilers if you didn't get that from the trailers yeah Mystique dies you don't really care because I mean I got tired of... Look, I liked Jennifer Lawrence as Mystique in First Class and Days of Future Past, and then I could have cared for her less in Apocalypse and more so in Dark Phoenix. And it just doesn't... It's not good. It's not good at all. Jean Grey, most of this movie is, like, struggling, but you don't really feel anything for her because we only had one other movie with Sophie Turner as Jean Grey, so you don't really feel for this character at all. And, you know, I gotta say, you know, this is a different media, movies and comics, you know, the comic, uh, the movies are never gonna be like the comics, but they will take, like, elements and whatnot and try to, their best to adapt it. With this story, I, I, I have to agree with, uh, the fan community in the sense that this story needs to be built up. This story needs to build up because if you're just gonna just do this movie, adapt it, the storyline... Um, you don't, it needs to be built up. It just does, because we need to, you know, be with these characters, this cast of characters and whatnot for a couple of years, and then you do the Dark Phoenix. I mean, this, to me, could have been the Infinity War for Fox's X-Men or whatever, but, you know, with the Fox X-Men uh, movies, there's never been that overarching plan or anything and you really because I mean Fox you know Fox never had that mindset unlike Marvel Studios did and I get it you know Fox X-Men movies were there first 
in terms of like doing these Marvel movies and whatnot. But uh, yeah, um, God, I could just rip this movie to pieces so much so that I I've been wondering, do I hate this movie more so than Venom? Because you guys know how much I hated Venom. Like I just felt like Venom was just the tone was everywhere. But honestly, I might hate this more, this movie more because of the fact that, you know, I love the cast. You know, I especially love James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender as the characters of uh, Xavier and Magneto. And even how they were served in this movie was awful. Like, Magneto, you know, when he finds out Mystique was killed by Jean Grey, you know, he, he has full intentions of killing her. And then... With a prep talk by Xavier, you know, or whoever. God, I don't even know it. That that's how you know this bad is so. This movie is so bad. You, I tend to forget about it. But and then with the flip of a dime towards the the final act, he's like, "All right, now we gotta protect Jean Grey from these aliens who want the Phoenix Force." And it's just, it's a goddamn mess. It's a goddamn mess. And I loved how it. I loved how it. Uh, it ended like because I don't know if you guys read that you know this movie went into reshoots for the third act and the original idea was to take the full final battle into space which probably would have made the uh, the final act better I guess um, but no it wasn't it wasn't I don't think anything could have saved this movie but also you could tell these were reshoots because the ending is so weird it's like it's like they're like okay this is the last x-men movie we're doing i guess we gotta tie it all up so their idea is basically uh charles xavier retires and it's no longer called xavier's uh school for the gifted it is gene gray school for the gifted i don't know uh like Okay, Jean Grey saved, like, <laughs> saved a couple of uh, people, and yeah, I don't know, I don't know, but yeah, Dark Phoenix, it's a absolute dumpster fire. Um, yeah, that wasn't under five minutes, unfortunately, anyways, so The Witcher, the Witcher is coming to Netflix, and we have our first looks. And honestly, The Witcher starring Henry Chisel Cavill, because that that jawline is pretty amazing, if you ask me. But The Witcher, I have no history with The Witcher at all. I never read the books or played the games, but but I am a fan of Henry Cavill. And these first looks, I'm in. You know, I, I mean, I've always, I was always in with uh, Henry Cavill as the lead, so I'm curious to see how this does. You know, I don't probably have to ask some people who are into The Witcher. I'll probably ask them how is it compared to the games or whatever, because I'm curious. I mean, with uh, when Good Omens came out, I asked my friend who re- who read the book. And I asked her, how does it compare to the book? And she said, you know, it was very much like the book with a few things, uh, you know, different things from the book or whatever. And, you know, she thoroughly enjoyed it. So, yeah, 
The Witcher, I, I like these. I like the first looks, you know. Again, you know, Henry Cavill looks great. I mean, it looks like they they spent their budget real good. And, you know, they're on different locations. And I cannot wait to see what they show at San Diego Comic-Con. I am very curious what they show. Uh, and it's on Netflix, so I imagine we're going to get 10 episodes, maybe? Or 13? Because usually it, it's always 13. So, I'm curious. I am really curious to see where that goes. Another show that's going to come to Netflix, uh, Sandman. Sandman is officially come to Netflix with, I believe it said a 10 episode count. And it's being brought to you by Neil Gaiman himself, the writer of Sandman. And the Dark Knight trilogy uh, writer, David Goyer, who also wrote Man of Steel and... Blade or directed Blade, I guess. And so it, it was very interesting to see people like upset that David Goryeo was like attached to it. Now, I guess that's probably coming from the fact that he did something with Blade or whatever. Or because I think he directed Blade Trinity. Uh, again, I'll be honest, never seen a Blade movie. I probably should, but I'm not like keen on it. I'm not like it's not my high priority list or whatever, but. David Gorier as a writer, I, I, I dug, I dug what he, uh, and some hand, what, whatever kind of hand he had with the, uh, the Dark Knight, Nolan trilogy, Batman movies, and I loved what he did with Man of Steel, like, again, I loved Man of Steel a lot, so, I'm ex, well, I'm excited for, to see Sandman come to Netflix, but at the same time, I'm nervous because it's really hard to describe uh, Sandman because there's no, it's not a linear story. There's no, like, storyline. Like, there's not a main overarching storyline. It's all, there are some, and there are some stories that deal with the main character, but it's not, it is about the main character, but there's this overarching, like, side stories and all this stuff it like it all comes back to Sandman who is also called Morpheus uh he's for those who don't know Sandman is basically about Morpheus who is the god of dreams yeah and let me tell you the the comic is massive like there are so many issues and it took me almost a year just to finish the Sandman comic to the point where when I did finish it I was like, when I first started watching it, I was like, oh, this, I would like to see this done into a comic. But as I went further and further into the issues, I just felt like there is no way you could, like, adapt this. I don't see how you could ever adapt this in the terms of, like, yes, the fans will be there, but I don't know how you sell this as a show to the average consumer. So that's really what. I'm curious because, again, it's there's no linear story to it. There's no, like, what does the character want? Because Morpheus doesn't really want anything. He's just going around. Well, in the beginning, well, I'm not really going to spoil it. I think, you know, if you... I wouldn't say this is a comic for beginners, but if you want to read something that's not your Batman or Superman and you actually like to read 
Sandman is one of those comics, I think, you just you just got to stick with it, you know. It's not necessarily for something for beginners, but if you if you like reading a good complex storyline, Sandman is one of those things. And again, there's no I keep saying it, but there's no linear like storyline to Sandman. It's just, you know, one moment, you know, we do follow Morpheus on some sort of plot, and then other issues are about, you know, people having these dreams and all these kinds of it's crazy. It's like it's so out there. It's again, this is a comic I just don't see how you can like adapt at all cuz it's just so far out there. I think the the what really has me honestly curious is to see who they get for Morpheus, the main leading character. You know, who's going to play Dream basically? Like I'm so curious who they get. I was thinking about it earlier and I was thinking Wes Bentley, you know, the guy from, the guy with the funny beard from the Hunger Games, I believe, and the guy, the main villain from uh, the first Ghost Rider movie starring Nicolas Cage, that guy, or he's, uh, he was a detective on, what was it, uh, American Horror Story Hotel, I want to say, yeah, I thought he would make a pretty interesting, uh, Morpheus Dream uh, character, but then again, when you look at uh, Dream, he doesn't. He just he's just got that look like he's just dead. Like he just he shows no emotion. He's just I don't know how you say I don't know how to describe Morpheus in terms of the look. You know, it's just very unique and I don't know. I, I think that's that's one of the things that will probably bother me. Whenever they do hire uh, the lead, whoever they get, I feel like that is going to be a thing that will bother me. Even though I always say, you know, it doesn't bother me if the character doesn't look like they are from the comics. As long as they get the writing. But with, I feel like for this, if you're going to cast Dream, I don't know. you got to do something to make the actor look like the character just this emotionless uh person like i don't know how you do it i don't know but but like i said i'm i'm excited yet nervous but i will say you know with neil gaiman attached i am pretty pretty confident because i did like good omen so there's that um yeah so that's sandman uh let's talk about some trailers uh the first one being charlie's angels now Look, I have no connection to Char- Charlie's Angels other than the first movie. I think I was like seven or eight. My mom loved Drew Barrymore, so I guess that's how I got. That's how I ended up watching that first movie, and that's all I got as far as a reference point. But other than that, this uh, new Charlie's Angels. So I don't really care for Charlie's Angels, but just felt like I had to talk about this since you know I did see that first movie. So, we're getting a reboot, Charlie's Angels, starring Kirsten Stewart and Naomi Scott and some other chick. I have no idea who it is. Directed by Alyssa Banks, who played Rita Repulsa in the Power Rangers movie, and she's directing this. And Sir Patrick Stewart is in it, which, that's great. So, as far as the trailer goes, 
I just kind of feel like this is a throwaway movie. This doesn't look all that great. Then again, it might be good. But as far as any interest for me seeing it, not really. Not really. I mean, I know it's a first trailer and all, but I didn't really feel anything for it. I just felt nothing. Like, even, like, what, what, what are they bringing new to the table is my question. Okay, there's some familiarity and then there's some new stuff. But then again, I'm not the biggest Charlie's Angels fan. But, um, I don't know. I I think it's fine. It doesn't really appeal to me all that much. Like, it certainly does have a demographic for sure. Of people, like, I, I could totally tell who they're going for as far as the audience, you know. And sadly, I'm not part of it. But it just kind of looks like a generic, boring movie. Like, there's no... I don't know. I didn't feel the fun, the action-packed or anything like that. And maybe it's because, you know, the people who are going to go see this are mainly women. And look, I, I would be into it, but I just... This doesn't feel like a good movie. It just kind of just uh, just kind of just feels like generic, boring movie, but then again, maybe I'll catch it on like Netflix one day and just watch it just for the heck of it kind of feels like a movie you put in the background but then again could always be surprising so i don't know but yeah charles angels you know hope it does well i mean hope it does well makes its money and uh just does for the best and i I don't know if this is the first time elizabeth banks is directing a feature i don't think it is i don't think it is but overall hope for the best like with most movies you know even if they look bad, I hope for the best for them. Uh, another trailer that just sort of came out of nowhere for me, uh, Jumanji, the new Jumanji movie, and which the official title is Jumanji The Next Level, and oh man, look, I had a lot of fun with Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle movie. I had a lot of fun with it, and I didn't expect it to be that much fun and just charming and just... It had the laughs and all kinds of stuff. And so when I heard they were going to do a sequel, I was like, I don't, what are you, does it need a sequel? I mean, I know it made all that money, but do we, we don't really need another sequel. I mean, what are you going to bring new to the table or whatever? And after watching this trailer, oh my God, I'm so in. I'm so in. You got the main kid's grandfather. So Dwayne Johnson is portraying Danny DeVito and Kevin Hart is portraying oh god I'm skipping the name oh I'm forgetting the name god damn it I have to look it up I have to look it up but basically so Dwayne Johnson is portraying Danny DeVito that's amazing uh I just I I I was just having way too much fun watching that trailer like it just gets all the laughs Danny Glover, that's it, Kevin Hart is playing, impersonating, he's the avatar for, God, Danny Glover, right, I think I'm phrasing it that right, but yeah, it it just looks fucking funny, I guess the premise is they're, they're gonna look for the main kid from the last movie, cause I guess he went back into the game, and I imagine this is gonna be, you know, trying to you know group like trying to reconnect 
because they had this shared experiences and that's how they became friends in the Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle. So I imagine that's what they're going to do. They're going to go look for him and <laughs> it's going to be a fun ride, you know, seeing Dwayne Johnson uh, playing uh, Danny DeVito. And it's just, it's, you know, he's got the mannerisms and the ending with, you know, him smoldering. That's just one of his strengths. And Kevin Hart's character is like, breathe. He's having a heart attack. Breathe. Breathe. Oh, my God. Just seeing that in the theater really, really cracked me up. I just I just love that trailer. And, yeah, I, I cannot wait to see how that turns out. I'm just, I'm so fascinated by it. So much so that I just, I, I can't wait. And it's coming out in December, which is the same month as Star Wars. I wonder how close to Star Wars they're releasing it because I just I don't know I don't know that's a good marketing idea but what do I know maybe it will I think it'll make it good enough money will it make as much money as it did the last time probably not maybe it will I don't know depends on how many weeks before or after Star Wars it is but I think you know with how much money Welcome to the Jungle made this you know Jumanji the next level could uh definitely make more money possibly because you earn that uh the general audience and whatnot so that's gonna be very interesting Alrighty, so i watched the show uh, this uh past week i watched krypton season one what can i say so i'm just gonna take it back to this past week so i had a friend who told me they watched uh three or three episodes four episodes of krypton and they told me they were watching and they thought of me and they were like yeah i think you would like this like they thought of me when they were watching krypton how sweet of them so i was like oh okay krypton yeah that show now when the show first started i remember seeing the first 15 minutes of the first episode and I just kind of checked out. Like, I was not interested in it at all because I was so used... Because I'm used to CW shows and all that fun jazz or whatever. But, you know, I took my friend's advice. I started watching it. I think it was by episode... I think it was by the pilot episode. I was like, okay, I'm going to check out more. And then I think it was after... I don't know, I just kept watching like two episodes a night so much so that I finished it in three days so I watched two episodes a day or four episodes no no like yeah I basically watched it all in like four days and it was just it was something like all I can say is you know watching Krypton was so not what I was expecting honestly and the fact that it was only 10 episodes for the first season oh my god I was so surprised by it like there are so many surprises by this show that I could not get my head around like there's a few moments in season one that really shook me like first of all General Zod comes up shows up Brainiac is in the show you know when you first see him like in the full costume it's towards it's the last episode it's the last episode where you see full brainiac and i gotta say oh my god i again this 
this show shocked me. You see Brainiac's ship. It, it's just... Okay, first of all, I gotta give props to sci-fi because I think the only sci-fi show that I watched while well, I watched a few episodes was Z Nation. And that was it. That's all I know about sci-fi. Sci-fi, to me, when I think of sci-fi, I always think about those uh, cheap movies that they release and they're not good like they're stupid fun like Sharknado I don't know how or why people are so into Sharknado I will never understand it's probably a guilty pleasure thing but hey we all have a guilty pleasure but anyways Krypton it's well written like you actually care about the characters and the whole explaining the houses like House of L, House of Zod, House of Vex, all this stuff, very interesting, you know. And the fact that they have someone like a Adam Strange being like, "Yeah, I'm here to, you know, save, you know, who's obsessed with uh Superman trying to prevent this uh uh this event to come that Brainiac is going to take over Kandor and yeah, it's very interesting, especially later on as the season goes, when you meet Zod, which I find it very hilarious that it's played by the dad, or the second, or I guess stepdad, from the first season of Arrow, who plays Zod, I found that very hilarious, but at the same time, he sells it, and they make Zod very much a very caring character. Like, at the end of the day, you know, they, he does talk about Superman, about how, you know, he didn't want Superman to be his enemy, but he chose Earth over his heritage and all this stuff. And, like, they made Zod very interesting. Like, very, like, of course he would be sympathetic and not this over-the-top kind of villain He's like, he's on Krypton. He's home. Like, he wants to save Krypton. And I gotta say, the whole switcheroo where Adam Strange pieces it together and realizes that, no, Brainiac needs to take over Kandor. So that, because the story is, you know, once Brainiac takes Kandor, that's how the events of Superman comes together and that's how Superman is born. Because without Kandor, it, it weakens the planet and the planet explodes. And, of course, you know, these Kryptonians, when they find out about this future, they're like, oh, no. Even, you know, Superman's grandfather's like, no, we're I'm not going to let this happen. Because, you know, he doesn't know Superman. He doesn't. He's never met him. And it, it's very interesting how it kind of does that twist, although I kind of figure that'd be the plan because I was like okay if you're having Brainiac and Zod why and then it kind of hit me I was like oh no it's really about Zod coming back to say Krypton that's the real issue that'll prevent you know the birth of uh, Superman very interesting it was a very interesting like it's just again it's well written and the fact that they have a doomsday like doomsday is in the show He's the key to stopping Brainiac before they realize that, you know, hey, yeah, just, yeah. It was very interesting. I I dug the mythology, the layers that they bring to the show, and 
the mythology that they have, it's very interesting. And I just, I, I dug it a lot. I really did. And again, this is coming from someone who, when they first heard about it, I was like, Superman's grandfather, why would I want to watch it? It's a prequel. Why do I care? I mean, I remember reading the news about this, uh, this about Krypton becoming a show from like, God, I don't know, since 2011, 2012. And it was coming from David Gorier, who earlier, earlier, like in development, it was supposed to be a prequel to uh, Man of Steel. But I guess, but of course, as time went on, you know, who knows what kind of development it went through. But I remember specifically reading saying, you know, oh, it's going to be tied into Man of Steel. And sure enough, when you watch the show, it's not really connected to Man of Steel. Like, there's no connection at all. Not that at least that I see. But yeah, Krypton Season 1 was very shocking. Like, I even knew, like, I thought I had known what the ending was. I thought I knew, I thought I had it spoiled for me, but the ending was not what I was expecting. Because I originally thought, I I could have sworn I saw a spoiler saying, you know, Brainiac takes over uh, Krypton or whatever. And, you know, he does it and all this business. And I was like, wow, what a way to end it. And, you know, Brainiac's being OP as can be. And, oh my god, but no, it it's something far better, if you ask me. Which is the fact that, you know... Brainiac goes into the Phantom Zone and he takes the main character Segel, who is also Superman's grandfather, into the Phantom Zone. It, I, I just couldn't believe. And Zod is taking over for Krypton. You know, he's making all these new changes and he says the iconic. He gives a monologue and then he drops the famous Neil before Zod line. And oh my God, it was amazing. It. It was definitely not what I was expecting, and this is coming from sci-fi, and my god, did it look good for TV, like the special effects and all kinds of stuff, and the fact that they made Brainiac look like Brainiac was, is fucking wild to me. I remember seeing the first official look, and I was like, they just did Brainiac like this? Like, he looks like he was ripped from the comics. It's, that's fucking nuts. I cannot believe that. But, of course, it I, it, I never went back because, of course, I didn't have sci-fi. You know, I don't have cable. Uh, so I was never able to watch Krypton and never really did cross my mind to, you know, start, you know, maybe buying it. But, you know, I saw clips here and there and I was like, wow, this looks good. And I got to be honest, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoy the show because of the fact that they don't, you know, lean into you know, Superman stuff or whatever. Yes, they have the villains, but they never lean into it. They never do... They do fan service right. Like, they never do the obvious thing where, oh, this is, like, this is the uh, grandmother of, you know, kal Like, no, it's... No, you you don't... Well, no, not the grandmother. Uh, Yeah, the grandmother. Uh... Whoever Segal hooks up with, like, you don't really know who that woman is. Could it be, uh, the, uh, Daron Vex's, uh, daughter? Could be. Could it be Lyda? Maybe. Well, I think it probably is, since in this incarnation, uh, Zod 
is, you know, awesome. he's a Zod and he's also an L. And it's it's very interesting. I, I am so, like, it's an Elseworlds story. And that's kind of how I always looked at it. Whereas with Gotham, yes, it's an Elseworlds kind of story with 20 plus episodes. But they just, they catered to the fans so much so that, you know, they brought a little young Bruce Wayne as Batman into the show. And I don't know. For me, Gotham just got it all wrong. They didn't make their own show. They leaned into the villains, all the rogues gallery, and fine, whatever. It's Gotham. Like I've always said, you know, I Gotham for me, I felt like I wanted, uh, what's it called? Uh, NCIS, but in Gotham. Like, that's kind of what I wanted. I wanted to focus on Gordon Bullock and not have these iconic uh, Batman villains in it. I, I didn't want that at all. But that's what they chose to do, and, you know, there was uh, fans who loved it. Me, I dropped out when I could because, you know, it wasn't the show I wanted. But, you know, that's just me. But with Krypton, I just feel like, okay, yes, there is fan service, but it's, never does it feel like it's too much fan service. It's just they're doing their own thing. And plus, and also, they don't have 20 episodes. It's just 10, and they're just focusing on, you know, these characters, developing them. you got your new characters, and then you have a few, you know, character names that we know of, and they're fleshing them out, developing them, and that's great. And, you know, goddammit, I'm on the Krypton train, that's for sure, and I cannot wait to see Season 2. I'm, you know, I'm just going to wait patiently till they drop it on the DC Universe app because that's how I saw the first season. So I'm ready to see season two whenever it wraps up because, you know, all right, the fact that they're bringing Lobo to the show, I am so fucking excited to see that one day when I get the chance, you know, when I get the chance, oh my God, I can't wait because everything I've seen so far, I am digging it and, you know. Like, look, Lobo is a goofy-looking character as it is. You know, there's no, like, I don't know. Like, y'all thought trans, you know, bringing Shazam to the big screen was going to make it look all epic and stuff. But then again, Shazam is kind of right to bring that kind of goofiness to Shazam and whatnot. But, yeah, Lobo is just a, oh, my God, I cannot wait to see that. But, yeah. Krypton, if you haven't seen it and you have the DC Universe app, or if you, you know, want to spend your money on something, I would definitely check out Krypton. Like, just just give Krypton a chance. Just do what I do, as always with new shows. Give it three episodes, go from there, see what happens. And if you don't like it after three episodes, you know, just don't bother watching the rest. But, oh my god, Krypton... What a surprise. Definitely, definitely not what I was expecting, honestly. Yeah, so that's Krypton. Alright, time to talk about the main topic. Spider-Man Far From Home. Alrighty. So, I gotta say, my overall thoughts of Spider-Man Far From Home, it's solid. It's really solid. I'm gonna talk non-spoilers at this point. Because I know it just came out as of today. came out two days ago. Um, 
like I said, it's very solid. I mean, everybody does a great job. The sort, the plot is very simple. It's very much what you. I, it's a simple plot. It. It's. I won't go into it because we're in the uh, non-spoilers section right now. Uh, everybody is great. You know, every performance is great. You know, the one thing I really love the fact about this movie. I think my favorite thing about this whole movie is the weight you feel on Peter Parker's shoulders with his mentor, Tony Stark, being gone. You feel, you feel that so much so to the point where when Nick Fury is like, you gotta step up and, you know, are you gonna be the next Iron Man? You kind of feel like he's got that inner struggle. He doesn't know what he wants to do. Like, at one point, you know, he wants to just, you know, wants to just be on a trip with his friends. And at the same time, he wants to be Spider-Man, but he doesn't feel, he doesn't, he's not sure if he wants to take on that role of an Iron Man kind of deal. And you just feel that weight, so much so that something happens to him, and he's telling Happy Hogan what's going on, and you can just feel the pain in his voice, and the look on his face, and he's just, like, he can't, he can't do it. Like, he just, he's so, like, struggling, and that's what I really liked, you know, that weight, that put on Peter Parker in this movie. I really dug that a lot about this movie. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio, gotta say, really, really good. I really thoroughly enjoyed him as Mysterio. I bought him as Mysterio, and, you know, he didn't take me out of the movie. I was afraid he would take me out of the movie because it's Jake Gyllenhaal, and, you know, I can't... (laughs) I'm not... I'm, I'm... I'm... I'm not a fan of Jake Gyllenhaal. It's not that he's a bad performer, but it's it's because of the fact that I saw Tony Darko, saw Tony Darko, and that's all I see him as. And oh my god, I I hated Tony Darko so much, so that it kind of ruined my like, you know, what's it called? You know, when I look at Jake Gyllenhaal, all I see is Tony Darko, and it's just I can't do it. But in this one, you know, with a few exceptions, I've only seen him other than Donnie Darko. I saw him in Nightcrawler, and I thought he was great as Donnie Darko. And I can see why, you know, everybody loves Jake Gyllenhaal. I can see why people are like, he's a great actor. Like, he is. But for me, if I could, I would erase everything that I saw from Donnie Darko because, oh my god, I can't. I don't like Donnie Darko at all. It's very, just, it's, that's another story. That's another story. But as far as him as playing Quentin Beck, Mysterio, he was good. I like this iteration iteration of uh, Mysterio a lot. He's very great. And yeah, I also dug the fact that we get to know Michelle, a.k.a. MJ, more in this movie. I mean, she's more likable in this movie for sure. Like, they've developed her... A lot more. The chemistry between Peter and MJ, it's pretty good. It's really good. They really fleshed it out in this movie, and it's, it's very good. It's very good. I also love, you know, that dynamic between Ned and Peter. That's great, too. And, you know, what they do with Ned in this movie is pretty funny. Uh, but, yeah, as far as the action goes, it's it's really great. But I gotta say, and I'll talk about this more once I talk about spoilers, but there's a moment in this, uh, 
in this movie that really, really, I had a hard time watching. Not because it was bad, but it might have been because of the fact that I was in a theater. And for some reason, the speakers were so goddamn loud, my chair was shaking. So, but there's a moment in this movie where I... I almost had to look away because Spidey gets his ass kicked in one sequence and so much so that when that certain sequence ends, you're just like, Jesus Christ, this, that was like fucking brutal. That was brutal. And again, I'll talk about it once I start talking about spoilers, spoilers but yeah, that that was crazy. Another thing I gotta say, you know, I don't know about you guys, but the post credit scenes. Um, the very end of the post credit scene, very shocking. Very, like, I it just has me, I have questions, as I'm sure it will make you question, like, certain things. Like, my main question is, like, well, was it, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about that more in the spoilers, but the first post credit scene, oh my god, I, First of all, it gives you two surprises. Like, the first surprise, I was like, no way. And then the second surprise is like, which basically is the blueprint. It's basically, it's setting up what the third Spider-Man movie is going to be about. And I got to say, holy shit, that's where they're going? That's where they're going? I, I am so curious to see how that plans out because it's just like it's it's gonna be interesting it's gonna be interesting especially when this Peter Parker is 16 it's gonna be interesting I am very very interested oh my god I'm very interested all right let's talk about spoilers uh okay Mysterio is officially the main bad guy yeah I I saw it coming and I think you know one of my second favorite things about this movie is the fact that I am so glad they didn't introduce multiverse in this movie. Oh my god. Because, as I've said before, I I don't want them to introduce the multiverse in the MCU. I really don't. We don't need that. Because I don't want this to be the bridge of them, you know, saying, Hey, this is how we're going to introduce our X-Men or Fantastic Four. I didn't want that. I didn't want that at all. And that was kind of what I was so nervous about going into this movie. The fact that the possibilities of a multiverse. I didn't. I don't want a multiverse. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I just feel like bringing in multiverses kind of contradicts everything that would come beforehand. Like, I I would not want to see... Uh, like another version of Tony Stark coming into the MCU. I just don't want it. Like, let that character be put to rest. Like, come on. This is the MCU we're talking about. They, they're they smart. They're creative. Let them do something new. And so that's... I am just... I'm so glad that a multiverse was not... And that was the thing, too, I was afraid of. You know, a multiverse and... You know, beforehand I said, okay, if they're going to introduce a multiverse... I really hope it's just for this movie. And then after that, there's no, like, going back to the multiverse. You know, they're not going to dive more into it. Which, again, I'm so glad it was all bullshit. And that Mysterio was making it all up. 
Um, of course, I kind of figured he was the main villain because why wouldn't he be? And I like the fact that, you know, he ties in back to, you know, he's got a grudge against Tony Stark. You know, he's the one that built these uh, projections that we saw in Captain America Civil War. All this stuff. And I love the fact that Quentin Beck's team is like former employees. A few of them are former employees of Stark Industries and all kinds of stuff tying back to the other movies. I like that. I really dug that a lot. And the fact that you got Jake Gyllenhaal as like an actor in this mocap suit. Because that's how they're going to portray Mysterio. He's going to... They use projections and all kinds of stuff. It's great. I loved it. I dug it a lot. So, the main plot is basically... The basic plot is... The simple plot is... You know, Tony Stark gives Peter Parker these glasses. Which uh, controls these drones. And gives him all this kind of information. You know, you know what... Tony Stark has those glasses when you know in the other movies he uses that for information and all kinds of stuff it's not just for looking cool as well but it's also tech and so the basic plot is you know Quentin Beck wanted those glasses and you know Tony Stark gave it to Peter because he felt like he was the next one in charge and of course going back to what I said about you know Peter just you're feeling that weight with him uh, feeling that loss for Tony to the point where he doesn't really want to take over as the next Iron Man or whatever. And you just feel his loss and pain and whatnot. And he's scared. I mean, I mean, he's a 16-year-old kid, so it makes sense. And finally, he meets uh, Quentin Beck. He trusts him so much so that he's like, all right, you know what? You're, you can take over. You can lead the Avengers and all this stuff. And it's crazy. I um, yeah, but then it, I'm kind of like conflicted. It's like, okay, would he do that? Then again, he is 16 years old, so yeah. But when he finds out, oh, it's great. It's it's something. And seeing Mysterio with the fishbowl helmet, it's amazing. And the fact that they kept that whole like, yeah, he's using illusions and projections and all kinds of stuff like. Man, what what an interesting take. And the fact that one of his uh, uh, members is a writer is great. You know, making up this story about the multiverse. And, you know, Quentin Beck is an actor, basically. You know, acting it all out. And being the hero, the face of the hero and whatnot. It's really great. And I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I gotta say, that leads into probably the most horrifying sequence ever. At least to me in the movie. I mean... Where Spider-Man gets his ass kicked, you know, Miss Quentin Beck is throwing all these illusions at Peter Parker, and he's just, like, trying to fight it, and also, you know, Mysterio is getting to him, like, psychologically, and all this kinds of business, and you gotta realize, this is a 16-year-old kid, like, oh my god, and then, you know, the illusion, you think the illusion stops, because Nick Fury, quote-unquote, Nick Fury shoots Quentin Beck in the back, and, you know, Nick Fury comes up to him and he's like, how, like, who else knows about the projection and all kinds of stuff? And, you know, Peter tells him, and then it's revealed it's Quentin Beck still, but he, he was disguised as Nick Fury. So great. 
And then the sequence ends with Spider-Man being run over by a train. Like, oh my god. That, and you just see a broken Peter Parker getting onto the train and just passing out. And just, that whole sequence where Mysterio is just torturing Peter is really hard to watch. Like, I, at least for me, it was very hard to watch. Like, I almost had to look away because it was just like, damn, you're just... You're killing this kid. Like, oh my God, it was a lot to handle. And I know, I I, I got to imagine, I sent a text to Brittany because as you've heard her say, you know, Spider-Man is her child or whatever. And yeah, I sent her a text saying, you know, you got to bring tissues when you go see Spider-Man Far From Home because there's a moment where Spider-Man gets his ass kicked and it is horrifying. Like... It's fucking brutal what that kid has to go through. It's crazy. It it really is. What else really stuck out? I, I love what they did with Ned. You know, Ned hooking up with uh, Betty. So in the beginning of the movie, you know, they go to France and then they're a couple. Then by the end, you know, they're like, oh, we broke up. And it's really great. I loved what they did with Ned. And then it, it's really great. And the fact that, you know, by the end of the movie, you have... MJ and Peter Parker hooking up. It was great. And I, like I said, I loved how they developed MJ. And, you know, they, they gave her more to do, developed her enough. And it was great. I, I really dug it a lot. I also love the fact that it, they do, you know, we are getting to see more of the spider sense because I guess, you know, people were asking about the spider sense. Why wasn't it featured in Homecoming? So I guess. And this movie, as, you know, Peter Parker gets older, the spider sense comes in, comes in as he's, you know, getting older. The spider sense is, like, coming in. It's hitting him. So much so they call it, you know, Peter's uh, tingle or something like that. Something like, oh, it's so great. And he's just like, don't don't call it that. And it's great. I, I like that they are... You know, you're seeing more of the spider sense, and, you know, granted, they're not, like, what's it called, you know, they're not, like, they're not doing it the way, you know, the Raimi, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man did it, where when his spider sense went off, you'd hear that, that, that whoosh of a noise, and that's how you know his spider sense comes in. Uh, no, they don't do that. They just kind of feel like they, they address it, well, not address it, but they, like, they show it. They basically, you know, you you basically get what's going on if you're a Spider-Man fan of like, oh, this is where he's using his spider sense. And granted, it doesn't happen all the time. It only helps, it only comes in a few times sometimes. But yeah, it's it's really good. I really liked how they, they're tackling the spider sense in these movies. So, yeah. Alright, the post credit scenes. I gotta talk about the ending first. The very last post credit scene where it's revealed uh, that one agent and Nick Fury were scrolls. So much so I... And it scared me at first because I was like, no, did they... Does this mean Nick Fury's killed? But no, soon enough, uh, the scroll... And those, those two are the scrolls from from Captain Marvel and one of the scrolls calls Nick Fury 
which I was delighted because I was like, oh, okay. So I guess Nick Fury was on vacation. Kind of makes me wonder when is it, was it just for this? You know, was it just for this movie that the scrolls were impersonating Nick Fury just for this mission? Like, I, I'm just curious. I don't, I hope it's not, you know, they, they were impersonating Nick Fury and that other scroll from, they weren't impersonating Nick Fury from like how many movies? I don't, I don't want to know. I, I just hope it's just for this movie. Cause it'd be kind of weird if, you know, the scrolls were, those two scrolls were impersonating those two, you know, age shield operatives or yeah yeah commander of shield and i don't know i i was like i was surprised it was a nice surprise and whatnot but i was like oh man so i guess it because my theory is maybe you know scrolls were just impersonating those two just for this movie i that's what i think so that's what i think the first post credit scene gotta say oh my god i was not prepared for it. So they gave us two reveals. So basically this yeah, the post credit the first post credit scene ends picks up right after, you know, we cut to the credits by the end of the movie. So movie ends, cuts to credits, so I guess it picks up like two minutes after the uh what was going on. So the movie is having the ends with Spider Man swinging around with MJ through the city and then the post credit scene picks up where they drop off and you know the news cycle comes on and the daily bugle uh has a network i guess and j jonah jameson shows up and it's played by jk simmings that was like oh my god that is they they just did that now granted he doesn't look like J. Jonah Jameson from the Tobey Maguire uh, Spider-Man movies. He's bald on top. And he's, I guess he's also a news anchor for the Daily Bugle. So, but he's still got that rage against Spider-Man. So good. And then the second reveal, second shocking reveal is that, you know, Quentin Beck set Spider-Man up. And made it look like by the the big battle is basically, you know, Spider-Man's fault. And, and then Quentin Beck reveals that Spider-Man is Peter Parker and shows, like, a, a photo of him. And that's where the third movie's going. The whole world now knows Spider-Man's identity. I cannot imagine what the next movie is going to be. Like, for me, I'm like, okay, so the whole world knows Spider-Man's identity. And it's kind of nice because it's kind of a parallel, but it's, uh, it's a parallel to the first Iron Man movie where, you know, Tony Stark is like, I am Iron Man. Whereas with Peter Parker, he doesn't want anybody to know he's Spider-Man. And so... The fact that Quentin Beck just revealed that, you know, Peter Parker is Spider-Man. I am just like, I'm just like, holy shit. Like, who do you, I, I don't know what to say. I really don't. I don't, like, I'm excited and yet terrified at the same time. Because I'm like, 
this poor kid's gonna get his ass even more handed to him now. That's crazy. Like now it's gonna be, it's gonna be interesting where where the, the third movie's gonna go. And I, I'm this is just me guessing, but I I could totally see Craven the Hunter be the main villain for uh, the next Spider-Man movie. I could totally see it. I could totally see it. But yeah, the fact that that will be a pinnacle plot for the third movie crazy like he's only 16 and he's got to deal with every criminal to deal with that knows his identity that is wild to me i i cannot wait to see what they do with the third movie and i'm hoping you know because me and a friend were discussing well she hadn't seen the movie and i told her you know that the post credit scene is like It'll. It's definitely gonna. It definitely sets up the plot for the third movie. And she was. She was saying, you know, she loves the fact that these new Spider-Man movies are introducing characters we haven't seen on the big screen. Which I. I, I imagine they will do that for the next movie. And I. I cannot wait to see what they do. But yeah, I. I'm excited for the third Spider-Man movie, especially with now that the whole world knows Spider-Man's identity. I am so curious to see how that plays out. I'm excited for it. And so, yeah. So, at the end of the day, Spider-Man Fire From Home, again, like I said, it's very solid. I would compare it to a Doctor Strange. That's how solid it is. It's fun. And, you know, it's it's Spider-Man. It's a fun time. It's a pretty simple plot. And, yeah, I mean, it's a nice cleansing, too, after, you know, seeing Avengers Endgame. And yeah, that's 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 my thoughts on Spider-Man Far From Home. So yeah, that is Spoiler Appetite for this week. I'm Tristan, and you've just been spoiled.